Hey guys, welcome back to the Free Drop Podcast and this conversation with Sunshine Tour winner Robin Williams. I cannot speak highly enough of Robin. He is a phenomenal player and person, both on and off the course, truly leaving his mark on the game. And I'm sure you'll you'll find it very, very insightful what he has to say and very heartwarming as well. He He's just a fantastic, fantastic guy and I wish him every success going forward and it was a true privilege to have him on the podcast. Before we get to the conversation, though, I just want to encourage you guys to give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at freedrop underscore podcast. Now let's get to Robin Williams. Enjoy. Where did you grow up and what was your home course? Um, well, I was I was born uh, here in South Africa and Stellenbosch, but when I was eight years old, I moved over to the UK. So we actually moved to Scotland. So uh, Royal Aberdeen was my home club where I started my golf. What was your earliest golfing memory? Um, probably going before and after school uh, with my dad to the golf course, just playing nine holes on the little par three course, just really starting to fall in love with the game. What were your amateur career highlights? Um, definitely on top is playing the Junior Ryder Cup, getting to kind of play with all the best players in the world from Europe and America, and then obviously experiencing the Ryder Cup firsthand. Most satisfying win of your life and why? Um, I'd probably say the one that I've just done a couple of weeks ago. Um, Sunshine Tour, it's been a big step up for me to win on that tour and to win with uh, a good margin as well showed that all the hard work I've done is paying off. Best shot you've hit in your life? Best shot? Um... I'd probably say I hit one during the Junior Ryder Cup in my singles match. I think I was two down with three to go, and I won 16, 17, and then 18. I think I hit like a three wood from about 260, cut over the water to like three feet, and then made it to, to win the match. One shot you'd like over? Oh, just one, or do I have to only pick one? <laughs> you can pick a couple um, if you want. Yeah, there's been there's been there's been many over the years. Um, I, I, probably the main one that sticks into my head uh, when I was eleven, I played the Junior World Championships over in the US, and I think seventeen, um, I've hit it in the water with a one shot lead, and then ended up losing by one on the last hole. So that sticks with me. If not a golfer, oh, um, I've always loved Formula One. That's that's something I'm not passionate about, but I, I keep up to date. So definitely that would have been another dream of mine to be a Formula One driver. One thing people are unlikely to know about you. Ooh. Um, I go to the gym a lot um, for um, trying to stay healthy and then with the golf as well. But uh, that's one of also my other passions. One tournament you'd most like to win? Um, it's got to be the Open Championship. Uh, for me, I think that's that's the holy grail. What does a typical day look like for you? It would be probably get a gym session in the morning, um, probably around 8 o'clock, and then afterwards from about 10 till 3, 4 o'clock, I'll be on the golf course, whether I'm playing or if I'm just going to do work on technical stuff on 
my swing on the range, the putting. So it'll be, I try to make it like a job where it's like a nine to five type of thing. So it's been a couple of weeks since your victory. Firstly, has it sunk in that you um, have won on, on the Sunshine Tour and, you know, so many so many opportunities have, have opened up because of that? And secondly, are you surprised at how quickly you managed to win? Um, yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely sunk in, especially I had the week off last week. I got to see some family. Um, so that definitely sunk in to see them, to kind of see how much it also meant for them because uh, they've they've been through my whole career through the ups and downs. Um, and then obviously coming back this week, it's definitely sunk in to know that, look, your next couple months is, is sorted. You have a place to play. You get to play the big events. So it, it definitely takes a lot of stress off my shoulders. That's awesome. And for those who are perhaps unfamiliar with your game, give us a, a brief overview of, you know, your, your strengths and certainly how it um, helped you uh, win in, in such emphatic fashion at Glendower? Yeah, um, because I've, the past three years, I've put a lot of time in the gym, uh, mostly because of lockdown. I didn't, I was quite bored. I didn't really know what to do. But um, when we came back to playing tournament, I saw how much an effect the, the gym had in hitting the ball further, um, having a lot more stability in my swing. So I've really tried to keep, keep on top of those things. And what really helped me uh, with my win was my driver. I was, the, it was very hot that week, so I was just I was smacking driver everywhere. I was seeing the ball quite far, way past all my my playing partners that I was playing with, just because I had a lot of confidence in my driver. And as a professional golfer, when you've got confidence in your driver, you start to hit the thing 110%, and you know exactly where it's going. So that was definitely a massive help in my win, just hitting driver and having that massive advantage over my competitors, knowing that not only am I hitting them past them, but I'm hitting fairways and I'm hitting greens and I'm getting myself a lot of birdie opportunities. Yeah, so it obviously wasn't uh, just Bryson DeChambeau who was making gains during lockdown. Clearly you put in put in some time as well. Yeah, no, he, he did have a little bit of an influence in that as well. Seeing what he did at the US Open was, I, def I think it definitely changed a lot of people's perspective. What do you think of his decision to kind of like slim down again now? I mean, he's he's now not back to where he was before, but certainly somewhat closer. Yeah, I think that's just because of injury prevention. I think he, I think he he takes things to the to the limit and sometimes beyond to see how far he can push not only his body but his mind and his golf to try to become a better player. And I think he realized that there there comes a point where too much is too much, where it can actually have a negative effect on not only his health, but his golf as well. So I think the reason why I slimmed down is he's realized, look, he can probably still hit the ball the same distance even further and keep the, the health and injury um, off the cards. Mm. No, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, holding a, a, a four-stroke lead um, heading into the final round must have been, yeah, I suppose it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you you in a good in a good position but at the same time if you especially when you're chasing your first your first win it can be quite sort of nerve-wracking and you know just just take us to the the night before and, and what was running through your mind yeah um i mean luckily enough i've been in that situation before through amateur events and a previous professional event so i kind of had experience going into that knowing that i had a had a good enough lead a good enough cushion but as you said yeah it's a double-edged sword where you know, 
you've got that cushion, you can afford to make a few mistakes and be fine. But then again, you've got everything to lose and everybody else has everything to gain. Um, once you start to slip back to the field, you're just going to give the other guys enough motivation to come get you. So I knew uh, how I start was going to be very, very important. If I can put my foot on the throttle as much as I can to say, look, guys, I'm going to I'm gonna keep going forward. If you're going to catch me, I'm not going to come back to you. You're going to have to come back to me. And I think I birdied four of my first five holes and made one bogey. So I stretched the lead from, I think, four to six or seven at that stage. And I knew from then... I just needed to keep my head down, keep doing what I'm doing, and just do the necessary stuff just to get the job done. Yeah, and in a sense, that attacking mindset actually, in a way, probably proved to be the best defense. Whereas if you had kind of, you know, just been content with like middle of the green, taking two putts and, and, and moving on, that, that could have actually been quite a dangerous game to play. Yeah, correct. Um, I've I've been in the the wrong side of it where I've tried to, I've had two, three shot lead in a junior amateur tournament and I've gone with a defensive side, look, just play middle green, almost try to not make a mistake. And then that's when you make the mistakes. So mm. I knew because I've, I was playing well that week, my drivers could just keep doing what you're doing and just try to not push, but try to stretch that lead as much as you can and go with the mindset of, I'm not going to come back to the guys. I'm they're going to have to come get me. And I think that really helped me. So you must be super stoked not to, um, you know, with the co-sanctioned events coming up, you don't have to pre-queue anymore. You, you know, you, you're guaranteed um, all, of, all of those starts, which is, yeah, it must, it must be absolutely game-changing. But tell me about what this win does from a, a scheduling standpoint. Now, you, you know, you're not under pressure to, to play every week. We're, we're certainly at the start of the season, being in Category 9, it's kind of like play what you can get in to type of thing. And, and now you can kind of really plan things out and, and ready, try and peak for the right events. Yeah, I know it, it, it helps massively. Like last week, for example, I took off at Wild Coast because we played that event early in the year and the weather's always not great that week. Um, so luckily enough, I won. So I, I could afford to take that week off. I didn't have to play. I didn't lose. I don't think I lost a spot on the order of merit or anything like that. So it was it was luckily that I could take the week off, rest a bit, um, spend time with the family and then come back a little bit refreshed for the for the co-sanction event. So it, it, it definitely helped. So for anyone who's who's unfamiliar with well, I mean you alluded to it earlier in the podcast that you you know you lived in in Scotland and the and the UK um from from a pretty young age, but I have to ask, um just in terms of sporting allegiance with the with the Cricket World Cup going on now and the and the rugby um, as well, where, you know, obviously Saturday was quite a big, quite a big game with, um, well, two massive games in the, in the Cricket World Cup um, and Rugby World Cup, SA versus England. You play under the English flag. Where, which side of the fence were you sitting on, uh, on Saturday? Yeah, that's, that's a bit of a tough one. I mean, I have both passports, so I've got dual citizenship. So, um, what I what I tell people is, uh, regardless of how the match ended up, I had a team that I support which would be in the final, whether it was whether it was England or South Africa. But I did support um, England in that match uh, since that's the country I play for. But uh, I, in my in my heart, I did have Springboks in my mind because I knew what an amazing final it's going to be against the All Blacks. So, but it was a win win for me anyway. 
And yeah, your 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 folks obviously being, um, you know, having probably spent considerably longer in in South Africa. Do do they still? Is there a bit of banter that goes on? Because do they very much still support South Africa in 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 those sorts of things? Um, my dad is anti South Africa big time. He doesn't want anything to do with South Africa when it comes to sports. He's he will rather support Wales than South Africa. Uh, where my mom on the other side, she's a big Springbok uh, and South African supporter. So whenever there's a match or anything like that, the house is completely divided. My mom will sit one side of the living room, my dad will sit the other side, and they won't speak to each other for the whole game. That's just that's just how it is. Listen, with um, in a in a uh, cricketing context, uh, most of the time you'd you'd rather support anyone but South Africa because you know it's going to end in definitely in World Cups. You know it's going to end in disappointment. Um, but just just kind of shifting shifting back to to your golf. I mean, it's it's really cool to to get a bit of perspective on what the the developmental structures are like in in the UK. Most of the guys I've interviewed grew up playing the the South African amateur circuit but give us a sense of um yeah you know, what what opportunities lie in lie in the UK and how they helped you um develop your game yeah the yeah growing up in the UK you played a lot of different golf compared to what you do here in South Africa you know you basically grew up on links courses and you played amateur events where the weather is sometimes good but most of the time was just horrific i mean you'd play in hurricane winds and rain and you're just gonna it's basically survival golf that's the the amateur mindset you go into when you come over to the uk especially during the winter time i mean even in the summer times it's not really that much better um so learning to almost survival golf around there in the uk i think definitely helped shape my game in knowing that when the conditions do get tough i've basically grown up in those conditions so i kind of know how to handle not only my game but my mindset as well when other players is getting frustrated due to the environment they're playing in i just buckle down and i kind of know what i need to do um so that definitely shaped the the player that i am today um but i think i've played basically all around the world now and i think that's definitely helped me because i kind of know what i need to do in south africa compared to europe compared to america i mean it's different styles of golf you need to play you're playing on different styles of golf courses different grasses so i think um branching out and experimenting with those all the different but we did as an amateur we did come over to south african stuff and play the south african big amateur events sa amateur african um so coming over for those was also big help because you're playing against guys that you're basically going to play in in the professional rank so that was a big help to kind of test my game throughout the world to see how it how it shapes up and also i suppose a pretty cool opportunity to kind of you know, get to know the country a little bit better as well. Yeah, yeah, to an extent, yeah. You traveling the world, you learn different cultures and you meet so many different people. Um, you see the world really, not only through the golf, but uh, when you're off the course, you get to kind of do, if you can, some sightseeing to kind of really experience the world. But golf is really, yeah, I'm very blessed. So, you know, obviously you're playing the Sunshine Tour now, but chat to me about how you you know, what your scheduling looks like and how you divide your time between, I presume, uh, well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, if, you know, you want to work with your coach, I presume they, they're they back in the UK or how does that, you know, what does that setup look like? 
Yeah, so my, my coach is back home. We will try to talk on WhatsApp and on FaceTime as much as we can. I'll send him videos. Um, but really, during during the season, we don't really look at swing or anything like that. We'll do a lot of performance tests, so he'll send me things that I can do um, leading up to the tournament, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, to prep my game as best as I can. And then from then on, me and my dad, we've always had the mindset of, you know, you have to be your own coach. Yes, you can have a coach, someone that can help you. But when you're under the gun and things go wrong, your dad or your coach, your caddy, isn't the person that's going to fix it at the end of the day. You have to fix it. You need to know within yourself and you need to know yourself well enough to be able to fix the problem and get a score. So, yes, I have a coach and we speak a lot, but especially during the season, we don't really touch on technique unless I really have to, unless I'm really struggling. Otherwise, we'll just speak purely on scoring and performance of how I'm prepping myself for the tournament uh, week in, week out to give myself the best chance. So give us a sense of what some of these performance tests look like. Like what do you, are there certain metrics, I presume there are certain metrics that you that you use um, for the different facets of the game. But yeah, give us an overview of that. Yeah, so say for example, if um, a tournament, let's say Glendower, for example, where one, it was a lot of drivers for me. So on the range, if you can hit drivers, um, just do a lot of driving tests where you'd create a fairway between trees or flags on the range. Um, and you just hit different shot shapes and say, okay, first hole is a little dog leg here. That's your fairway. Can you hit it? If you hit it, it's a birdie. If you miss the fairway, it's a bogey. And then same thing with the irons. You basically create a green or a target for yourself to say, this is the side I want to miss it. This isn't the side I want to miss it. Can you fade it? Can you draw it? And then if you pull it off, it's a birdie. If you don't, it's a bogey. And then you basically see how far under par you can get. So not only you're practicing just for the sake of it, but you're putting yourself under pressure to try to simulate what you're going to experience um, on the golf course. Same thing with the putting. You'd have maybe you need to hold a three-footer, five-footer, six-footer, five-footer and six-footer again. Those are all your pop putts. If you can make all those, and then you can move on to your buddy putts and then your longer eagle putts. So just basically trying to understand what you need on the given week. If it's a lot of drivers, then you do a lot of fairway drivers. If it's a lot of irons of the tees, then you just hit those those X amount of irons that you're going to hit off the tee and just trying to basically simulate what you're going to experience during the week on the practice and then giving yourself a birdie, par, bogey ratio to put yourself a little bit under pressure because this, everybody can flush it on the range, but when you get out on the golf course, when you're under the gun, it's completely different. So I guess a lot of the, you know, a lot of the local um, players that are, you know, just starting to make their way in the, in the, professional game have the advantage of having seen a lot of the courses Glendower for example um Sun City as well courses like that they you know they've seen year in and year out as as amateurs um how much of a learning curve has it been um familiarizing yourself with the with the different layouts and the not only the tests that they that they present but also the the different grass types as well um that we have over here as opposed to in the UK yeah, it's it, it's tough, especially your first year on tour, if you haven't played a lot of golf in South Africa. Luckily enough, I came over a lot um, as a junior, as an amateur to South Africa. And then I got to play your your Sun Cities, your Leopard Creeks, your Rand Parks, a uh, couple in Cape Town where, you know, Cape Town's grass is different from Joburg's grass, is different from Durban. So learning what kind of game you need to play and the shots 
you require for the week in all those different places. I think experience definitely helps because if you come here for the first time, you can't just play the same game week in, week out. There's certain, like, how you chip, how you read greens. Some greens have more grain. Some greens is obviously uh, this week you're close to the coast. So now you're switching from meters to yards, how you flight the ball differently. All that comes into into consideration. So experience definitely helps the guys that's played a couple of years on tour that have played the courses year in, year out, definitely helps. But I think I've been blessed enough that as an amateur, I came down a lot to South Africa um, to play those events. And I think I'm also latching onto those experiences that I had as a junior, as an amateur, and I'm using those in professional ranks today. Have you picked the the brains of of your other fellow pros much? Um, And, you know, also like who you're, who are the mates that you've made on tour? And I mean, like a week like this, like, are you, are you um, sharing with, with someone and, you know, do you have a group of, of friends that you travel with? Yeah, yeah, I've got probably, probably a group of 10 guys I travel with each week. Um, at the moment, uh, me and my dad, we played the Vusi Q school back in April and which is basically the non-white Q school. And we heard some of the, some of the stories that some of the guys have to go through through a daily basis just to get to the course and the financial struggles that they have and the environments they grow up. And I've been luckily and blessed enough that I've got a dad and a mom that work extremely hard to give myself the best opportunity I can. And I just couldn't understand why I've been given a good opportunity to go after my dream. But someone with the same amount of talent, the same game just doesn't have the opportunity just because of the environment or the financial situation he's staying in. So what we've done is we're supporting about 10 to 15 guys financially where we help them with flights, accommodation, yardage books, caddies to make sure that, look, guys, all you have to focus on is your golf. Um, at the end of the day, yes, we're, we're playing against each other, but we're all also working with each other because if one guy makes it, it's just going to spur on a whole other guys to come through and hopefully one day another generation to come through to say look these guys there's a, there was a structure involved with them and if we can continue those structures if we can get more sponsors involved here that there will be a long line of non-whites that will come through the sunshine tour and hopefully one day move on from the sunshine tour into europe and hopefully one day into america so the moment i'm helping those guys we travel every week together we stay every week together we practice together we do all those skills challenges and i can see the difference that it's having not only on them but on me because it's also pushing me to work harder to yes you're supporting them but you also want to beat them each week to say look i beat you here in this putting competition i beat you here oh you got me this week i'm gonna now work harder to do that so i've got a great group of guys around me that uh, support me, but uh, we are also very competitive during practice. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been a good good year in in traveling with these guys because professional golf can be so lonely sometimes. You know, if you're traveling alone, you're traveling out your suitcase, you're traveling from hotel to hotel, and if you're alone, it can get it's it's not nice. So I have a good group of guys that I'm quite good mates with that uh, make time go a bit past uh, a little bit quicker and makes the whole journey a little bit more enjoyable. That's such a cool, um, cool gesture of, of, of you and your dad. And yo, it must be it must be really, really gratifying to to see the light or well, the positive impact you're having on those guys lives. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing because I mean, some of the guys that's in the group haven't ever made a cut as a professional. They've been playing the tour for a couple of years now. And to see them 
the, the work that they've put in behind the doors and kind of the advice that I'll give them and looking at the stats and all that. And then when they make their first cut and they come top 10 and to see that gratification, it's, it's just, there's just nothing better than that. Yes, you're competing against them, but you're also, you're changing their lives in a positive way. And I believe there's just nothing better in the world than influencing people in a positive way and changing their lives and seeing them been able to bring that happiness not only to themselves but to their families as well i mean that's that's incredible and i suppose it also i mean not only does it um illustrate your generosity of spirit but it also illustrates um how how strong or how much stronger the pound is against the rand where you can afford to <laughs> to do that yeah yeah, so um, luckily enough, I'm, I'm quite close with my sponsor and I approached him about it and kind of came to him to the kind of explaining the situation about some of the guys. And he went to his big bosses and kind of explained the situation. Look, is there anything we can help with these guys? And fortunately enough, they're also helping with the group. And hopefully one day this will expand to something that will outlive us, um, that will help future generations with sponsors with being able to, I just, I just want to give them the same opportunity that I've been given over the years. I mean, growing up in England as a junior and amateur, I was always the only non-white player there or in the top England teams. And I never, I never really understood that, but coming to South Africa and playing the tour, you, you see the, the big divide and the big difference. And I just, I just want to give the guys the same opportunities, whether they use that or not is completely up to them. But I just want to, I just want to give them the same opportunity and see more non-whites come through. Yeah, I think it's 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 really interesting. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with um, James Cumter's story, for example. And I think he was very much, and 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 probably is the the sort of gold standard by which a lot of players of of color probably measured themselves um, growing up. But it's it's fantastic to kind of see. You know the next generation are coming through you've got obviously yourself then someone like dylan naidu nikhil rama like there there's so many there's so many great players coming through which is really really encouraging and you know i mean i think the the future of of the country um or of, of golf in the country for for um players of color is incredibly bright yeah no it's 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 amazing to see um i i i don't travel with them but i play quite a lot with them as well and to see them also come through. Hopefully, each year and year out, there's just one or two more guys that keep their card, a couple more guys that move on from Sunshine Tour to Challenge, and that's really what we're doing. Because, I mean, for all of us, for all golfers in general, Tiger Woods was such a massive influence. And in the 25 years that he's been around, there's you can count probably on one hand the amount of non-white golfers that's really come through. And I thought with such a big influence that he's had on the world, I don't understand how there's not been more um, non-whites that's come through. And I think it's just because of the environment that they're in. Some of them just don't have the financial structure to be able to even attend tournaments with accommodation, with caddy fees, but they've got the game. Do you understand? So, yeah, I just, my thinking is I just want to be able to give them that same opportunity because I know that there's good golf out there for, for the non-whites that's the thing like i was actually as soon as you won um i said to i said to my dad i was like it, it just illustrates what happens when players of color are given the the opportunity to to really develop their games and and are given the, the opportunities that that 
people who, who haven't necessarily had the same challenges um, have, which is which is really really cool. And yeah, I mean, just so much so much respect um, for for what you you've done and, and continue to do. But if if you wouldn't mind, I mean, would would you would you mind mentioning um, who your sponsor is and um, the role that they've played in your own development? Yeah, so uh, my main sponsor is JSS Search. They're like a sporting recruiting company that's based in the UK. I've known the co-owner since I was maybe 10 years old. I think he, he heard about me through an article or through a YouTube video and we met up uh, when I was about 10, 11 and he invited me to his course. And ever since then, our relationship has just gone from strength to strength. He's not only my sponsor, but he's a He's a friend, he's part of the family that I can go to, to rely on. If I need to talk about things, I go to him. So the relationship is just, I've been very blessed to have him in my life. And not only that, but he believes in my dreams. He believes in my goals. And ever since that age, he, he saw something in me and he tells me every time he sees me that he, he's seen something in me. And he was one of the first guys that, um, that, that messaged me. And then we had the phone call after and we said, look, look at that through all the years of persistence the hard work the discipline the dedication to the craft the, the miscuts the the bad days on the course but i just thanked him so much for the constant support because without him being in my corner not only obviously financially but just stay emotionally and as a friend that wouldn't have happened and it's trying to align yourself with people like that it's difficult to find but I've been very, very grateful to to have him in my life. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, um, Tiger Woods obviously inspired, well, he's inspired multiple generations, but um, obviously your, your middle name is, is also like, you know, paying, paying homage to, to him and chat to me about what it was like meeting him um, at the 2018 Ryder Cup, I think it was. Yes, that's correct. So I played the Junior Ryder Cup in 2018. So we had our tournament a couple of days before the actual Ryder Cup. And then we got to basically go inside the ropes during the practice round. We got to meet every player from both sides. And then obviously to meet him was just, I mean, you watch him on you've, your life through YouTube. You've watched him on TV. You've watched him do these incredible things. And then to actually see him in person, like you hear that you've, admired for so long was just a it was almost like an out-of-body experience to have a like a 20 30 second conversation with him um it was just and it was just the, it was the week after he won the 2018 tour championship so the hype was just like all the people there was the whole atmosphere was insane like you could like the the stories of if he would come on the putting green or on the range and everybody would stop and look at him I experienced that firsthand. It's the most unreal thing to like. You can actually you can hear the people start cheering as he comes around the corner, and as he approaches, everybody just goes silent and just kind of watches him as he passes by. It's yeah, it's it was quite a it was a, a moment I'll remember for the rest of my life. It's almost like he's like in a way bigger than the game at this point. No, he yeah he's he's gone past he's gone past the game. In in my opinion, I think I think. He's not only affected, obviously, golfers' life, but just people in general with what his foundations have done. But yeah, his his as an icon in general, I think he's he's at if not at the top of the list, very close to being like the people that go kind of beyond their sport. 
Do you remember what you said to him? To be honest, I don't. I, I was, as I said, it was such an out-of-body experience. I just kind of, yeah, I don't really know. I think I was kind of trying to say congratulations on him on his last between. And then I think the American team or someone shouted, like, what's your middle name or something? And then they said Tiger, and then he laughed. And then we kind of, because I think his middle name is Tiger. So we yeah, kind of yeah, had yeah, yeah. That, that common common ground to kind of laugh about. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you'll ever remember me, but hopefully one day down the line, we'll have more moments, more moments like that. Do you think we'll, do you think we'll see him back to not, I mean, you know, I think his, his best is probably behind him, but do you think we'll see him back potentially winning, winning one or two more events before all is said and done? I mean, I think for him, you can you can never count him out. I mean, yes, his body physically is starting to get to the point where it's almost starting to call time, but his mind is still probably as sharp as it's ever been. You know, he's the willpower and the the hunger that that man has is it's one in one in a billion, one in generation. So I think I think he's doing everything in his power and he's got a great team around him to make sure he gives himself the best opportunity. Um, whether he wins a couple more events or one more event, I think it's it's not up to him. It's up to the man upstairs. But I think it w- hopefully we'll see him in contention again and have that that buzz in a massive tournament. And then it will be great as a fairy tale story to go out and win and then call it quits. That would be, that would be just insane. But I think... The game of golf also needs that one more week where Tiger's in the hunt again in the big tournament to have every basically the whole world stop and just watch the great man. That would be that would be quite something. But I would say never count him out. Yeah, hundred percent. But he's also he's so competitive. I almost wouldn't put it past him to when he turns fifty to hop on a cart and play the Champions Tour for for a few years as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there was a couple of stories going around that. Uh, P, the all the basically every player on the PG Tour would sign like a petition to say, look, he if he wanted to go on a card today and play, they would happily do it because they want to play with him. But I think his ego won't allow him to. I think he yeah, he he wants to beat the guys on one leg when he's bleeding, when because he wants to show you guys, look, I can beat you guys with one arm tied behind my back and a broken leg, and I can still beat you guys to show you I'm the best. That's just his his way of doing things. Um, but yeah, it would, I think, yeah, I think it would be, I think we need to try to keep him in the game as long as we can, whether he's playing or whether he's hosting tournaments, but whenever he's around the whole golfing world benefits from it. Yeah, I think is, I mean, he, I think probably he still, um, stays true to what his dad always said all those years ago, of, you know, let the legend grow. And I think for him, letting the legend grow is is doing those sort of crazy kind of like odds defying uh things mm. by you know continuing to come back i mean what this would be like his what at this point like his fifth or sixth comeback yeah i think yeah i think that would i think he also gets a kick from it as well to know that when everybody thinks he's down and out he will just come through and win the biggest tournaments of all of them um that i think that mo- that really drives him inside but i think at the moment i think he's really enjoying spending so much time with his family especially his son like i think he's also 
getting those memories of obviously him and his dad growing up, um, what they had and the bond they had. I think he's also trying to develop that in his son. And I think he's, he's also really enjoying that. So um, I think he's, whether he comes back or not, I think he's, he's pretty much happy because he's spending a lot more time with his family. So just a couple more questions um, before we, before we let you get on with your, with your evening and with um, hopefully another very successful week. So, what are your goals um, heading into the rest of the into the rest of the year, and what are your plans to potentially try and play a little bit more um, overseas and in, in Europe as well? Yeah, so obviously I've got the four big co-sanctioned events with the DP World Tour coming up, and then starting next year we have the Challenge Tour co-sanctioned event starting as well. So obviously the goal would be to play as well as I possibly can through all those co-sanctioned events and hopefully earn enough points and status that when the Sunshine Tour season ends in about April time, I can then go back to Europe and then kind of play off those points and status that I've earned through these next couple months and then basically try to stay in Europe and earn my card that way. That would be the ultimate, ultimate goal. But right now, I'm just trying to focus on uh, the Sunshine Tour, just trying to focus week in, week out to try to do the best I can. And then if it all works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So, But I'm just going to try to work as hard as I can and give myself the best opportunity. Well, all the best. And yeah, we just wish you everything of the best for the rest of the season. And thank you so, so much for, for taking the time. It was, a, it was a great privilege to have you on the podcast. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.